Welcome to Coffee and Geography, where my guests and I geek out about the world and everything on it, discovering that we are all geographers in some way, shape or form. I'm your host, Kit, and my pronouns are they, them or she, her. So settle down with a brew, hit that subscribe or follow button and enjoy the listen. Hello everybody and welcome to Coffee and Geography. We're here with the second episode of 2023 of season three and I have with me someone I've been trying to encourage politely to come on the podcast and finally she's here, Akiko Tomitaka. Hello Akiko. Hello, how are things Kit? They're doing very, very well. So at the time that people are listening, they're probably well over into you know we're well into January they've already broken their new year's resolutions but we are recording this right off the back of Christmas day so it's the 27th i think we're recording this and, and uh, i thought it was going to be on the 28th and we nearly missed each other tonight didn't we Kit? we did indeed but of course <laughs> that just that's just the christmas foggy brain everybody isn't it and we were just talking before we recorded about how you know you eat too much of the stuff that you don't usually eat anyway like i'm not a chocolate person but i stuffed myself too much chocolate already so <laughs> <laughs> same here onto my brain <laughs> So I'm a bit gooey as well. So um, to introduce Akiko, everybody. So Akiko is a geographer, a global citizen and a yogi. And um, you can work out when uh, Akiko was born, because this is roughly the same as me, born at 343.97 parts per million. If you know what that is, you know what that is. Um, Akiko says that she's been made to feel very welcome in the UK, especially by the people of Glasgow. Um, however, no matter how well she integrates into her adopted community, she knows she's different and unique, which is exactly why I have her on the podcast. <laughs> um, pupils are naturally curious about her, and this makes it a perfect platform for her to teach geography. The pupils in her care will leave the school with a better understanding of how that world works and leave with the depth and breadth of knowledge, understanding skills, which open the doors to fulfill their ambitions to serve others. That is, yeah. A geographer's aim, through and through, Akiko. It sounds a bit pretentious, eh? I remember writing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it's a lovely intro. So, um, yeah, you're in Glasgow and you've used the term adopted community. So how long have you been in Glasgow then? And where have you originated from if you say that it's your adopted community? So this is my 16th year in my current school and I did probation and teacher training years before that. So 18 years in the wow. old Glasgow and it's been just a nice place. Um, people are friendly, they're funny, they're genuinely just amazing folks to be with. Children are even funnier. And <laughs> it's just one of those things that I just thought, just the way of living is so and genuine and so pure and it's just so enjoyable to be here. Um, I'm originally from Japan. My mum and dad are Japanese and I still carry a Japanese passport because the Japanese government will allow me to have dual nationality. I, I, I could go for the British citizenship. Um, yeah, I could get the British passport, but if I do go for it, I would have to drop the Japanese one. And huh. The last time I checked, Japanese passports are better than the British passport when it comes to travel. So I thought, you know what, let's not bother yes. with that. Unfortunately <laughs> so, since Brexit, I would say that's probably true. <laughs> so that's why I will keep my original national identity, but very much, um, yeah, very much integrated into my Glaswegian and my Glasgow community because of just the nice people we have around here. Yeah, I mean, I've... I've... I have a lot of affection for the Scots. One of my best friends is Scottish. I mean, he lives in the in the rival uh, city of, well, just outside of Edinburgh. Um, so hello, Clive. I need to get Clive on the podcast because I think that would be amazing. Um, yeah, and lots of friends, you know, it's from Scotland. But um, yeah, I do have um, an old family connection back to Japan, which I will get back to in a minute. Um, but first of all, let's, we before I forget, because I always forget to do this at the start of the podcast, is what you're drinking because it's called coffee and geography so you got a drink with you akiko what are you drinking yes it's um union coffee uh from kilimanjaro uh, tanzania it is a organic coffee blend from a cooperative i think they've been a cooperative fair trade etc since early 1990s maybe 92 and 93 um i think they serve 600 
and 50,000 farmers um, in the the Kilimanjaro slope area, which is amazing. The number might be higher now, but that seems to be the number that was branded about a few years back. And because of the gorgeous terrain, the geography, the soil, and the climate, the, the Arabica coffee beans in this part of the world, Moshi Tanzania is absolutely delish, delicious. So you can get get it from, I think it's just called Union Coffee. Wow. Um, you can get it from most places online as well as supermarkets. Now it's super popular. Yeah. Now that is a geographer's answer, isn't it? <laughs> what, what are you drinking? <laughs> I love well, it. I, I grew up in Moshi, um, the town where this coffee is grown in. So really? I, where, where I, when I can, I, I try to get my mitts on this particular coffee. Oh. Yes. So since from about age three to 16, I, I, was, I was living free and wild in East Africa. Wow. Oh my goodness. This is so cool. I mean, this is really, really just goes to show kind of like the amount of um, international, you know, connectivity we've got there. You know, you're from Japan, you're now living in Glasgow, you're speaking to uh, an English person, but you also spend a bit of time in Tanzania as well. I mean, wow, I'm pretty envious. (laughs) It's nice in Tanzania at this time of the year. I mean, we should all run away to Moshi and go for a like 10 day safari in those national parks. It's just glorious and it's mm. just such a nice experience. So if it's ever one of those bucket list things to do, add this one, go go to Moshi Tanzania for the great coffee, <laughs> lovely, lovely warm people, but also nice mm. um, diversity of animals and, and all the other gorgeous stuff. Yeah, I've, I've, I've fixed, I've only been to two African nations. So I've been to South Africa and I've been to Malawi and, um, I've two of my best experiences of my life and like, not just the scenery or anything like that, but the people, um, I really fell in love with the people, especially in Malawi. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, and I, I really strongly recommend that people listen back to, um, last season's chat when I spoke to one of my good friends in Francis and Bacati from Malawi and you can get the sense of our relationship through that discussion that really warm um sibling like relationship that we have and it's it's so so beautiful um I'm gonna ask you a really tricky question then because I, I ask this question of most people on the podcast um so with regards to Japan the United Kingdom and Tanzania is there anything that you feel Apart from yourself, of course, because you're you're the link in person between those three things. But is there anything that you would say that that these places have more in common than people realize? You know, apart from the fact that they probably all drink coffee in those three areas, and they and Agika has lived in those three areas. <laughs> of course, I mean, coffee is the second most traded commodity around the world, mm. and most of us adults are hooked on it. Um, when I used to teach a unit on Japan in, in schools in Glasgow. Um, I would always start with the similarities between Scotland and, and Japan. It was just an easy way in to the children's minds. And we would always always start off with both our island countries, island nations uh, nestled right next to a significant continental country slash power. Mm. And, you know, it's a very much of a very an island nation mentality of once upon a time we were this but today we are that there is that sentiment in i think both britain and japan and when it comes to uh, tanzania and japan japan when i uh, sorry tanzania when i grew up in the late 80s and the 90s was the second poorest country in the world and just after Afghanistan, I believe, mm. and Japan back in the day was the second richest country in the world just after USA. Now we have fallen to the third uh, once China overtook Japan. But because of this second poorest and second richest gap that we, um, I had, and I was aware of this because of my father teaching me about this, I know it's not the similarity, but the, the great differences between the two countries it made me appreciate more of what I had in Tanzania and more what I had in Japan. And the sense right. of place and connection and people were magnified because of this silly statistic that, you know, one place was the second poorest and one place was the second richest. Um, but when it comes to all three countries uh, joined together, I can only say that we speak um, enough English between the three countries. And then, of course, um, that our countries are not super duper amazing at football. 
Tanzania never gets anywhere. Japan just about, and England just is better, <laughs> but Scotland doesn't. And it's one of those things that when I go to Tanzania um, and have the pleasure of walking around my old neighbourhood, there will be street vendors who are trying to sell Tanzania national teams shirts, and I'm like, "But you guys are rubbish. Why would I buy? <laughs> Why would I buy your oh. tops?" <laughs> um, but I'm not a great football fan or follower, but just been after the world cup it's obviously you know very much within our minds that yes. it brings people together like nothing else so yeah. i suppose there's a little bit of we we suck up football equally as the mutual ground of all three countries well japan did really really well in the world cup as well you know what do they beat beat germany and spain i think i think i'm, I'm right in thinking and uh, then we got knocked out by Croatia or somebody like that. Yeah. But you know what we are best at, the, Jap- the Japanese, when it comes to football, is we, we tidy up the stadium afterwards. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm so glad you brought that up because um, it was that was incredible. And it was just like, and everybody like started to like love the Japanese team and the Japanese fans because of the way that they treated their hosts with respect and the way that they treated the stadium with respect. And it was, it was wonderful. I mean, I didn't, I hardly watched any of the football on the TV because it was my personal protest of the world cup being held in Qatar. So I listened to it on the radio mostly, but, um, but yeah, when I got to see that footage of after the, the Japan games of just the fans staying behind and, and clearing up and tidying up and going around with plastic, they're bringing their own plastic bags to put their rubbish in. It was so cool. And I was like, yes, yes, this is, um, we should take this example going forward. I mean, is that, is that base? Is it just because, they think that's the polite thing to do is that is that a part of uh japanese culture that you just tidy up after yourself i mean where does that come from if anywhere i think it's drilled into us since we're in our prep and primary school and um, we are told to clean our own classroom we serve our own classmates lunch and oh, we, nice. we do lots of these things ourselves um when i was in primary school in japan just for the three years between p3 and P6, I remember um, having to learn how to sweep and mop and properly clean the classroom. And we we didn't see any cleaners or janitors. It was all done by the kids Hmm. and their main classroom teacher. So we're told how important it is to look after one's surrounding out of respect. And I think because it's drilled into you since you're primary school age it's it's unthinkable for most people in japan to say litter on the ground or you know not tidy up after oneself in in places like a stadium and but it just makes us japanese come across as goody goodies <laughs> around the world stage it's <laughs> just like yeah we brought our own plastic bag guys and look this is also <laughs> biodegradable and it's like yeah i know we're good people but do we need to you know do we need to make a show of it every time Aww. we go around the world but it's nice because i uh, the news um, outlets pick those stories up, yeah. and inevitably, my pupils in my in my classroom in Glasgow will tell me about it. And I'm like, yeah, that's why I'm always telling yous off. <laughs> Glasgow pronoun of you, yous, yous, yous off, you know, littering in my classroom. <laughs> I just, I just think it's, I just think it's great. And um, so, coming back to what I was saying about this old family connections so when um when i was in secondary school myself my uh my aunt my my mum's twin sister was living in japan um in osaka um and she was a phd student out there at the osaka university looking at um cancer cells and biological t-cells and stuff like that and um and so that was quite cool. And then my mum and dad, I fortunately didn't get to visit Japan, but my mum and dad did. And they were talking about all these things about the courtesy, the politeness, how you have to take your shoes off before you go in. And then you can use these indoor slippers before you, you go in and things like that. And it was really, really cool. Um, so, yeah. And in my geography classroom, I, I, I actually found my old geography um, exercise books when I was going through my stuff a few weeks ago. And I found my my year nine book where i did a whole project about japan and my my auntie susan had sent through from japan all this stuff for me to use um and that was really really sweet um and i remember this time because it was i think this was the year after the kobe the great hanshin earthquake 1998 yeah or 95 it's kobe kobe yeah 
yeah kobe so and because my aunt was in osaka i mean osaka was what only 20 kilometers from kobe so she really felt the felt that earthquake um so yeah it's it's um that's my little that's my little connection to Japan. I mean, apart from my aunt Susan living there and being a massive fan of Studio Ghibli, um, I that's the connection of Japan I have. Right. I know this is your show and you're meant to be interviewing, but I'm going to ask you a question. Go so ahead. if you could pick a character in Studio Ghibli, <sighs> who would you be and why? Oh. Oh, is this off, if it's off the topic? <laughs> no, no, I love it when this happens. This is, it might be quote unquote my show, but the guests make the show. Um, oh my goodness. I've, I've gone back and forth. Okay. I, there are three particular characters I love the most, but I would say Nausicaa in Nausicaa and the Valley of the Wind, one of the very, very, very first. One of the earliest. Yeah. Uh, Kazenotani no Naoshika in mm. Japanese. Kazenotani, Valley of the Wind. Kazenotani oh. no Naoshika. She's a sweet character. Because she's 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 very strong. She's um, she's an environmentalist. You know, she's saying she's always talking about how the you know the the, the connection with nature is what's going to help humans and not to burn down the forest and talk you know talking to the ohm and things like that. Um, and I don't know. I've I've always wanted to do cosplay as Arietti. so it goes with your hair color yeah because i have red yeah. hair and uh i've got this i have actually got this really beautiful red dress which will could work for that costume and so all i need to do is find one of those giant clothes pegs things for my hair <laughs> and you know I'm so. sure you can find those on Alibaba or somewhere. Yeah. You know, the world is your oyster. <laughs> ah, oh yeah, very true. But um, yeah, I mean, there are so, the, the trouble is, well, it's a good, it's a good, good problem, not a bad problem. The good thing about Studio Ghibli is that there's so many strong female characters, um, you know, and it's you know, Miyazaki, I think, was was one of the very, very early kind of like film feminists who would like bring in the female character and environmentalists. So that's probably why I love Studio Ghibli so much was because they're very feminist and they're very environmental. Um, so yeah, it's, you you can't really ask me to say which is my favorite character, which is my favorite movie, because it really depends on the mood I'm in. <laughs> well, if you haven't watched this recently, you should um, re-watch Kiki's Delivery. Yes. Because uh, she, she is me. I, I, it's like, you know, I'm going to be a witch independent at age 14. Bye, mom and dad. <laughs> and that was uh, 1989 when that film came out. I must have wow. been an impression, impressionable age because I would have been seven, you know, eight, that kind yeah. of age. And then I must have just taken everything from it, literally, and just run with it. And I, I do have black cat, two black cats pretending I am Kiki. And I am married to a, a speckly um, boy with glasses on, and he's my tomboy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just pitching it all right now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so sweet. I'm just actually looking around at the moment. I mean, because it's such a, all the Christmas detritus is still all over the place. I'm trying to find where my um we we have we have a my wife did crocheted Totoros. That's what I was trying to look around for. <gasps> Totoro. I'll have, yeah, I'll have to. I'll have to. Um, I have to show you afterwards when we finish recording. And then we've got we've got soot spirits as well. Um who else have we yeah uh, Makrokroske, those those it's black the, fluffy yeah. things. Yeah, they're or called Makrokroskes, yeah. Cool. Oh, this is so cool. So I'm I'm geeking out here, everybody. So Hi. it's nice to be able to say Japanese words. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Um but yeah, it's so and there, there was this one person who I used to go to university with who used to live on the same dormitory as me, who like was full, had a Japanese girlfriend and was full on all this kind of stuff, anime. And I was at the time, I was a bit skeptical. And I like, I feel a bit sad now because I'm like, I could have got into this so much earlier than I did. But it wasn't really until I had kids myself that I really started to get into it all. So catching up for lost time. <laughs> Always time to visit Japan. And now that the Japanese yen is on its knees, it's it's so much cheaper. Actually, it is um, to go to Japan and uh, have a really good visit. I've been watching several YouTube uh, clips about all this um, visitors, tourists coming back to the country mm. and how, how cheap it is compared to pre-pandemic. It's 20 to 30% cheaper in some 
and um, places for accommodation and food, etc. So I can't wait to for myself to visit in April. Yeah, and I'm also taking a group of my pupils <laughs> oh, wow. in, in October next year, October 2023. Um, so um, part of me is like, I can't wait. I can't wait to show them all my, you know, the places and teach them Japanese. And the other part of me is like, are you nuts? Are you not taking 30 wings, 30 kids? <laughs> no, no. Oh, folks, oh, this is so incredible because um, folks will know, having listened to um, an episode previously, is that I took students to the United States of America um to the Yellowstone National Park area because my family my wife's family has a place near there um and it was the best thing I ever did it was the best thing I ever did and so folks if it's I can't remember what episode number it is but in season one I spoke to five students that I took to the United States of America uh Tom Nathan Emma um Rowanna and there was oh I'm the person who I'm forgetting is going to kill me now, but um, but um, yeah. And if you listen back to that, you 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 will get the sense of how amazed uh, um, that they were from that trip, and basically how much it's going to stay for them for the rest of their life. So I can tell you now, Akiko, that your your students are going to remember that for the rest of their life. Um, so I've done lots incredible. of international trips with with pupils in the last sixteen years that I've, I've been in this school, and it's always absolutely amazing experience but so totally devastatingly tiring as well at the same time yeah and and it's worth it it's it's worth it for every single reaction i get from the pupils from whichever country or community we visit and we're lucky enough to do that so yes i'm looking forward to my october trip to tokyo and kyoto with the the children with the pupils okay nice so is the tokyo tokyo area is that where you're you're from? <laughs> so my mum and dad are originally from the southern island of Kyushu. Oh, okay. And yep. it's a classic Japanese post-war story of, uh, you know, you get yourself educated and you come out to the big city and then, you know, you, you have your life. So my, my mum and my dad, they must have left their Kyushu um, small towns and villages and came up to Tokyo or at least towards the Kanto area. Mm. Um, so we don't have any family ties or links in Tokyo area apart from my parents and my two sisters live there um, yeah. it's not even Tokyo proper it's not part of the 23 wards or Niju Sanku of Tokyo it's just outside of Tokyo in a place called Omiya it's like um, <laughs> East Kobride compared to where Glasgow is it's like a small town outside <laughs> okay. of yeah. the bigger place so that's where my folks are living but we don't have any obvious family ties in Tokyo just the fact that we're just there Um, but Kyushu in Japan is a magical place if you like Totoro if you go to somewhere like um, Takachiho in Kyushu it's like Totoro country and it's uh, Sento Chihiro no Kamigakushi it's the same as um, all those beautiful countryside with green tunnels with spiritual references to nature and it's yeah that's that's where you want to go Kyushu Mm. Yeah, and of course, so folks, if you're wondering, so that's the Southern Island, and that's where Nagasaki is, I believe, yeah. and and also with speak, you know the the um, Studio Ghibli link, you, you know that's where the settlement of and the prefecture of Miyazaki is. So, um, which is interesting, since the name is uh, of the creator of a lot of these movies is I've forgotten his first name though, something Miyazaki. Oh, oh, we'll get to that. Yes. <laughs> It's just flown off the top of my head a minute ago. But yes, I mean, it's because Japan is a really big country. Um, You know, a lot of people don't realize that. So, I mean, that must be, I'm just trying to think between Tokyo and Kyushu, that must be 500, 600 kilometers. Yeah, plus um, it's, it's obviously easier to fly and quicker to fly. But if, you ever, if you're going to Kyoto, it's actually better to take the bullet trains <gasps> yes. um, just, just so that you don't have to do all the airport security and stuff. Two, two and a half hours between Tokyo and Kyoto uh, on the bullet train. And I can't wait to use that service again because things actually work in Japan. You know, the real services, the timetable, it's <laughs> clean. It's not, like, it's not like costing you an arm and leg. Yes. Yeah. And at uh, the current time, you know, rail strikes as well. <laughs> so but um yeah i mean i've i would love to go on the bullet train i mean 
So does it really get up to, was it 200 and something miles an hour? That's just crazy. Yeah, I think, I think they're still uh, developing the technology further. They're always tinkering with the shape, the size, the engine, mm. etc., to have the next fastest um, service. Rather than the next fastest record, it's the service that matters in terms of consistency of how, how, how they can provide it. And they also have, rather than the fastest service in Japan, um, these days they tend to do lots of uh, luxury train services um, so that you can have a, a bit more gentler um, experience of being on the train, but the, the interior of the carriages are done up in such splendor that you would want to spend those extra times in, mm. in, in traveling on rail. So yeah, rail, rail travel in Japan is much recommended. So if you ever get to Japan, try it out. It's amazing. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. So yeah, I mean my my um my wife did go to college with someone who's now living in Japan, so we might have to use that connection, you know, to uh, to get out there one day. That'll be uh Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's not it's nothing better than visiting friends and family, especially when you go to far flung places yes. and you know, you just need somebody to show you around and say this is the list of food you definitely want to try or whatever it might be. And Studio Ghibli has just opened a second theme park. <gasps> they, had a, they had a smaller theme park, but now I think they've actually opened a really big one. They, and they, judging by the amount of YouTube traffic that was on about this, I think it was some point in October or November that it finally opened. So, yeah, check it out. And oh, <laughs> I can't wait to visit. Oh, oh my goodness me. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Here, put, here, put it on your bucket list. Gib Ghibli Park. Oh my goodness me. Yeah. There's yeah. two of them. This one this... is massive. This is. I don't know if this is the main one or the smaller one, but this one is not too far from. Oh, it's on the Nagoya. Yeah, the Nagoya one would be the much bigger one, and and that's the newer one. And then the one that's within Tokyo is the original smaller one. And oh, I see. I've been to the original smaller one, and it's it's just so charming. It's just lovely. Everything yeah. is, just makes your heart sing and just smile with joy because of such beautiful and gentle storylines with, you know, strong moral undercurrent of everything. And yeah. it's, it's, it's a good, joyous experience. Right, that's it. Something's just added to the bucket list, and then I can go dressed as Arietti. Yes, yes. I need, I need to see pictures. Okay. Yeah. Okay, that's a promise. You've heard it here, everybody. Pinky promise between me and Akiko the there. Yep. <laughs> so a lot of things that we're talking about is you know a lot of this global stuff and global connection. A lot of the thing what you put here that one of the things that you really really find important to talk about and you enjoy talking about in your teaching is is global citizenship. Um, you know, you yourself, you 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 embody what is is a global citizen. You know, having all of the the life experience that you have. But um, when you're talking to your students, um, how do you how do you express the importance of global citizenship to them? Like, what is the kind of like the the crux of the lesson for you to say why we all should be global citizens? I think every lesson is different depending on the the audience or the atmosphere that mm. I, I have with the class. But it's it's important in a sense because you need to remain competitive as a citizen of the world when so many people from all around the world have got almost the exact same qualification. And if you don't have the wits about it, you're just kind of standing on the shoulders of your past ancestors, your giants of your of your country and if you don't know that other people exist around the world who are hungrier than you are for success and progress you are going to miss out so scotland has had the lucky thing of inventing almost everything in the modern world and but it has had a significant post-industrial slump and it has kind of lost its funk about it and some places you go within United Kingdom at large, there are communities that seem to have been slightly forgotten um, in mm. the more recent progress. And the mentality is quite closed. Like they're very in tune with the community. They'll help each other out. And that's a beautiful lesson on its own. But they're not always aware or willing to um, discuss about international happenings and 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 issues and because I, I do have a unique identity my, my face is different my name is different my background story is different 
I, I find it really easy to engage in pupils with any of these global issues because global issues, are, in reality, every single one of them is a local issue. And you just have to say, here's mm. a mirror, you know, and if you can't deal with what you see in the mirror, you can't really make progress of it. So it could be something, you know, fundamental, but simple, like children's rights. You know, that's so important within this country, as well as all the other countries in the world. It could be um, other things that are more related to geography, like climate change. Mm. But I, 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 I try to teach it from the local angle, as well as the international global angle to say some things are universally affecting us, but and the impact um, is not always equal because of the the muscle that your country may or may not have to deal yeah. and adapt with these things and these conversations are becoming more uh, prominent in our schools and our education system and I'm just glad to be one of the voices that or at least one of the people and faces kids will seek out to have a, a dialogue about it and I don't always have the answers but my pupils know I, I don't have all the answers. So we're very uh, gracious towards each other when we're having these discussions. And, mm. you know, and I think it's super important to be aware of internationalism, globalism, um, so that your life is richer. That's, that's the end of it. Your life is so much richer once you embrace of others out yeah. there. And you try to understand where and how they have come to be in the, in the story and how you fit in to their story or how you fit into your greater surrounding. And the greater surrounding is all geography. Isn't that right, Kit? <laughs> and then, you know, no the whole, here. <laughs> <laughs> and then the fact that we add the dimension of people and places from other parts of the world is just mm. so much interesting um, and also important, I think to keep on having conversations and keep on discovering and keep on giving each other grace to discover some of these things. Hi folks, a chance for you to recharge your brew, but also a polite prod to remind you that it's so easy to support this podcast. Simply liking, sharing, rating and reviewing means that it will get on more people's radar. Also, there are a few links down in the description which may be of mutual benefit. Please do check them out. Yeah, and it's it's is another C, isn't it? It's not just competition; it's also cooperation. And and can you imagine like it? There is so much untapped potential in the human race, you know. I think, and with more cooperation and compassion and connection between us there i i i truly and genuinely believe there is nothing we can't achieve as a, as a human race um because you pick up creativity and, and innovation from where you least le- likely to find it um and one of the one of the podcasts i i love to listen to is um digital planet from the bbc and one of the reasons why i love that is because they do have a lot of stories from from other nations you know african countries and and asian nations where they talk about such the innovation and the creativities that are coming out of those countries to overcome certain obstacles and like it just goes to show it's like wow i never would have thought that and everyone's got their own unique experience and lived experience and all that kind of stuff and then if you were to listen to each other because everyone's got that unique experience and then you say oh okay so yeah that experience plus this idea plus your idea plus this culture this background if we put those things together wow we've got a solution to a problem we never thought we could solve and you know and that to me is part of what being a global citizen is is working together to overcome problems that that we may not have a solution for if we just was in isolation I totally agree. And because of the time that we are living in, it's so important to concentrate on the potential and the positives. Yes. Because like you would know that young people, our pupils have got higher anxiety when it comes to ecological anxiety because of how we are uh, currently having a conversation about it. And so I think there was a film that came out in 2019. It's an Australian film that came out in 2019 called 2040. Mm. And Damon, Damon Gamo, um, I, I need to look up his pronunciation, but it's a, it's a story in which his daughter uh, grows up and it's year 2040 and, and how the world has managed to progress and overcome and adapt and manage the climate change 
And one of the story is a microgrid um, system in Bangladesh. And the story, the whole point of the film is the the dad, uh, the producer of the film, uh, has to mention things that are currently true and the technology exists. It can't be totally fictional. Um, But if these technologies and potential are harnessed from all around the world, including the microgrid system in Bangladesh, we could manage and overcome and adapt to the changing climate that we are currently facing. It's a very, very positive story. And I I try to kind of channel that kind of ideas to my classes um, when we are discussing about climate change or issues surrounding environment. Um, And then I I will also try to bring that the answers do not all come from the Western countries. I mean, look at the system in Bangladesh and kids are genuinely surprised that this is a system that works and they are genuinely also tickled that you know it's there and how can we haven't harnessed it yet yeah and it's just this amazement and uh, you know we, we haven't taken it on further so i think it's important where we can where we are in a privileged position to tell stories to children and that I become the conduit or the connector to say, this is happening here and this is happening there. And then you are right in the middle of this story. And this is how you can connect. Mm. And then it so happens that I think my gift isn't really to teach geography or teach global citizenship. I think I'm just a good storyteller in a way that I, I make really complicated issues more manageable to age appropriateness. And I'm able to like... Add some stories to go with and characters and names and places because that's important. Yeah. And, and kids like that. And then what's funny is they've gone home to tell some of these stories to mom, their mums and dads. And I don't usually hear about any of this, but occasionally at parents' night, a parent will reach out towards the end of your parents' night interview and say, Oh, by the way, my child came home and said this to us or said that to us. And I believe that was taught in your international education, the global citizenship class or in your geography class. And it, it really makes my Aww. heart sing when that feedback comes back and it's unsolicited feedback and it somehow makes this arc and then comes back to you. And it's like, Oh, that's really nice that you were talking about me (laughs) (laughs) in your car that's amazing (laughs) but yeah I think that's the joy of being able to tell a story that is relevant of our time and connects people and makes things more manageable and yeah I think it's a joy I think uh, I think quite a few people listening have got a bit of a warm glow after hearing that to be honest because we we do have a lot of educators, a lot of geography educators listening, uh, and I think they can, yeah. And I think the way that you said that was so lovely. I mean, I used to think of it as almost like storytelling, and I love the way that you put it. It's like rather than being a teacher or anything like that, I'm I'm just someone who makes connections, who can formulate connections, be a conduit for others, and f- to make links between one thing and another. And and yeah, I mean that is such a lovely way to put it because, and then I I always love telling things through stories and this I used to teach drama as well as geography so my second subject was drama and and uh, I would try and use as many as many of that to kind of like tell geographical uh stories or issues through drama and it was just yeah they were my best my best lessons and then getting the kids to you know make those connections and to come up with with their own facets and and parts of the story as well so they can put their own context into it it's just do you ever do you ever see your stories come back to you through uh, exam papers because i have (laughs) (laughs) i have uh, or prelim papers mock exams Mm. and i'm marking them and then there's my story coming back and i I do say to the pupils when i'm giving back their papers i'll say i need to be really careful what i say in front of you because the stories (laughs) (laughs) and but they have a really big broad smile and say well that's the way I remember things is through those stories and I think that's how it makes you know could it could it be pod soil the driest bit of the biosphere makes makes it a little bit more palatable to remember because you've got a story or something that you hooked on it or whatever it is and I think I, I see about 200 pupils throughout the week, 200 individuals throughout my average week. And to mm-hmm. think some of my stories might be landing in them and then taking some kind of germination or maybe yeah. some of them is just patched right away. But it's taking some kind of impact, not maybe immediately, but mid to long term. 
is also a nice way of looking at what education and teaching and all this facilitating learning is because mm. the teaching world uh, this profession has gone through so much change and currently lots of people may be feeling feeling tired or burnt out or not feeling the love that they originally joined the yes. profession for but I, I would like to just say you know there's, there's no other feeling in the world that really beats it when your your stories come back to you in one way or another or your stories take root and kids act on it later on, much later on in their lives. And I, I'm in a lucky position that after staying at school for 16 years, some of my very much former pupils are now good grown adults and they come back and tell me yeah. what they are doing in their important grown-up lives. And it does involve a lot of geography and a lot of internationalism and global citizenship, which um, I'm just, it just makes me really happy. Yes. Oh, no, I, I definitely echo what you just said there. Um, we'll move on and we're going to, I'm going to spill the beans with you now, Akiko, which is a very funny euphemism to kind of you to tell us something that other folks may not know. Um, I'm going to let you pick really, because I want you to picture this. So um, let's, let's have a little bit of a story-ish kind of approach to this. Yeah. So I want you to picture this. So, so you've, um, you, you wake up and there's, there's, there's the sunbeams are coming through the crack of your curtains. Okay. And then you open up those, those curtains and you just see hills and greenery all over the place because you're in your hobbit hole <laughs> right so so everything looks green and everybody's living in these like hobbit like hobbiton from lord of the rings kind of thing and you look around your room it's like you put on your slippers and you have a walk around and you think right should i um should i put on a little music and do a bit of bit of dancing maybe a bit of ballet or maybe are you going to go over to the piano or maybe on the other corner of your room where you've got you know your sewing table or maybe it's such a bright sunny warm day already you might want to go outside and you do a bit of yoga in the garden or something so um i'm doing a lot of exposition here because there's i've listed all the things that you like to kind of do as a as a hobby um so i'm gonna let you pick up from what would what would you like to do first, Akiko? You get up in that bright sunny day and you're in your hobbit hole and you've got all these things. You've got, oh, I fancy, I don't know, jumping on the piano, getting out, doing some gargling. I'm going to do a yoga stretch first. What would you do Gosh. first? <laughs> the reality is I haven't played the piano in quite a long time. I do have a clavinova, full piano-sized clavinova, Ooh. just in the, in the next hall. Um but I don't practice as nearly as much as I used to. I used to do maybe two, three hours when I was at university, when I was still um, actively doing music through my music degree. Um, so I feel like, if my mother is listening, I feel <laughs> like I would say I'll, I'll brew myself a good fair trade coffee and get my get myself on that clubbing over and you know bang out some scales and arpeggios just to <laughs> please her. Um, but if I'm playing the piano, it's it's most likely to be you know Disney tunes or so, something that I can sight read relatively easily. Mm. And recently, I, I was um, I think I was going to a, a school dance in the evening, but I didn't want to go home, so I went into I just stayed in school and went into the the hall to use the big grand piano that we have. I think it's a Yamaha uh, grand piano. And I, I was just so happy to spend two hours just flicking through um, musics that you can find on iPad apps and then just play a sight read as much as possible from, it could be, you know, your Bach pieces or your Mozart's or all the way to, again, the Disney pieces or Nora Jones or whatever those things. It's just, it was just two hours passed so quickly. So I feel like I should reconnect back to going to piano again. Oh. because it's it, it's never left my system it's it's almost like a muscular thing that i remember so when i sit by the instrument it doesn't matter it's been two years or however many months i haven't touched it mm. i am able to pick up the sight read and within a couple of goals i can play what i used to play so i should probably count myself lucky that my muscles remember so much mm. of it 
Um, but as we get older, I believe <laughs> I believe yoga is so much more important to our body. So yeah, yes. I probably should go go back outside to do some yoga on my on my deck and uh, overlooking south side of Glasgow. It's a, it's a very pretty view, Kit. So if you're ever up in Glasgow and you want to see this deck and do some yoga with me, you know, you've got you've got an invite to my my house, or as we say in Glasgow, my gaff. Come over to my <laughs> to my house. Yeah, that would be lovely. But yeah, I do have loads and loads of hobbies. It keeps me busy and fulfilled and content. Um, I like. You said you know I've got my sewing machine and I've made just like lots of other people during the pandemic. I made so many of the masks. I just had to watch a couple of YouTube. Um, instructions and I was like let's go let's make scarves and that was me happy just bothering <laughs> myself away and I'll, I'll fling a scarf to anybody who wanted one because in the early days of pandemic do you remember people didn't know how to get one and yeah, yeah. you know it's, it's not Japan in Japan the first sniffle that you get of a cold you put your mask on you've been told to do that since you're a tot you know since mm. you're a, a wee thing but in this country we don't we just you know spread it around like yeah. it's a present yeah, take some of my germs, makes you stronger. So when when the first signs of mask wearing came in, I did make I don't know two hundred plus masks. Wow. And I, I left I left piles of them in schools, and I've seen kids wearing <laughs> my masks in the early stages, early days of COVID. It was it was, it was quite nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. I'm gonna I'm so so gonna take you up on that that invite because i have i've I've said this to you akiko before oh when we've been chatting on twitter i was like i need to get myself back into yoga like um i was doing it regularly you know um at least once a week taught with a yogi and then you know doing a little bit at home before going to bed and stuff like that and it's just like it's just one of those things you, when you get out of the habit it's so difficult to get back into the habit so um yeah i think what i'm gonna need to do i'm gonna need to um yeah plan next time i plan a visit up to scotland i'm gonna have to get myself going so when we actually do that yoga on the death on a deck i'm not so stiff i can actually maybe i was getting to the stage where i, I was about to do downward facing dog with my heels on the floor um <laughs> but then then we moved house and we didn't yeah we didn't moved away from where we were doing yoga and then yeah so but oh yeah. So one of my other recent things that I got into is making spreadsheets for habit trackers and whatever. And it's so oh. nice to actually track your anything, you know, including your morning yoga or meditation. And I know we're in the daft days right now between Christmas and New Year. And we, we have, you know, our license to do very little right now. But I, I am going to get back into keeping an actual track of my not just my yoga but various habits hopefully installing positive more positive mm. habits as I cross into my latter half of my <laughs> middle age because I think I also said you know I approximately have 2,000 weekends left because that's oh just goodness. the normal that is the normal of a human life is you've got 4,000 weekends and then because I'm 40 and in life expectancy you know let's face it, it's about 80 something so you know I'm like about half through that and so every every time I think of, of it that way I'm like it's not like I've got unlimited time mm. so I best you know make the use of it but also be kind to myself some days I can't you know check all the habits and be happy but at some point I think it's nice to have yoga and meditation yes. and those things that you just check in with yourself and I just recently in November started doing a pupil's yoga class at school so at Wednesday afternoon I've got about 20 girls coming to see me nice. in a big hall and uh, I take them through the yoga routine and they're giggly and they're on the phones when they come in but as soon as I start doing the yoga breath and meditation they go into the zone it's amazing to see you know 20 girls from age 15 to 17 um, just doing exactly what I tell them to do without <laughs> any question and I also do a uh, 15 minutes at the end of yoga nidra 
which is uh, yeah. meditation nature. It's just a beautiful way to look after mm. yourself. Yeah. And my my girls in yoga class absolutely love it. Some of them come to yoga because they know that I'm going to do yoga do, nidra. nidra. Yeah. And they're very respectful for other people's needs. Like you don't see a single phone flickering at that point. Nobody is, you know, chatting or trying to be silly. Everybody's trying to just tune back in to their breath and just be good to themselves. So, yeah, I think yoga is overall a good thing. It's a, it's a, a plus. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. if you were to recommend to, if you were to recommend anybody who's like, I just need to get myself back in habit, but what can I do? for just one or two minutes would be like the best thing for me to get back into habit. Cause I would say like doing the sun salute for maybe 30 seconds to a minute and then doing it for two minutes and then doing it for five minutes. And then, you know, that would be a way for me probably to get back into habit. But what would you say to someone who says, would it just be sim simply just stretching to get themselves into the habit just before bed and getting out of bed and then they move on to a certain move what what yoga position would you recommend so i i learned uh, i was trained under seasonal yoga so it's it's better to kind of tune into the season that you are experiencing now that could be the actual you know geographical season outside of your house or it could be a season that you're going through in your life hmm. you're going through a particular spell or whichever way you interpret it you should tune into the seasons and um, plural of your physical and your personal life and nothing beats a good cat cow movement of spine rolling and then yeah. going into child pose and it's just playing around with your spine just so that that your spinal liquid your fluid and your energy is flowing as best as you can and usually if you are teachers your shoulders and your back are quite stiff because yeah. of the way we carry ourselves and we sit and how we conduct ourselves most of the time and um, it's nice to do the shoulder rolls to the side and um, so there's lots you can do but if you are just looking for a weigh in if you just do the first five ten minutes of the ashtanga primary series if you're relatively mobile that's a good way to build up because ashtanga can go on for 45 to an hour 45 minutes to an hour so if you just build up five minutes ten minutes and then just go right today i got as far as this and then i'm going to be very happy that i got it mm. and other days because of the seasons of your life you're in you might do slightly lessen and that's okay as well. So there's so many good yogis and yoginis on on the internet now. I don't yeah, think yeah. you know you'd be you'd be stuck for finding something that suits you on the day that you decide to do it. Yeah, very good sound advice, right? Okay, I am motivated. I promise. I need. To, I got to report back to you, and I'll say I've actually been getting this far, Akiko, and you'll be proud of me. <laughs> I'll I'll give you my habit tracker, and you can have a play Ooh, with it. Oh <laughs> yes, please. That'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> oh well akika it's, it's sad to say we're going to bring the conversation to a close now it's been so so lovely speaking to you but um we should finish off with one more thing now and uh the connection to make between all the guests of we are all geographers so um last week i spoke to dan hall um who um kicked us off for season one and he was given the word heat wave because last time i had an episode it was back in the summer when we were having those 40 degree temperatures which was ridiculous so dan at this time of year had to do the word heat wave which was bizarre but he did it really well he's a geographer himself um dan's gone seasonal with you akiko and he wants you to talk about the word christmas for 30 seconds and we've talked a lot about christmas throughout the whole episode but basically you've just got to roll off the tongue for 30 seconds um and if you can make it the geographical connections with christmas that's a bonus or you can just talk about christmas for 30 seconds so um whenever you're ready you can spiel about the word christmas akiko <laughs> Oh, Christmas. So in Japan, we do have a secular practice of Christmas only to worship at the altar of shopping. And it's also <laughs> very popular with young family, with children or with couples. And they usually finish by going to KFC to have their Christmas <laughs> dinner. And I tried to sell this idea to my Scottish family in East Kuwait to say, listen, I'll get you all a bucket each. Can we please skip the turkey? And can I just give you the KFC? 
nice. and they they said no no absolutely no way and so i did have <laughs> the nicest turkey that we 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 had in our house and i just i wish more people would just embrace the kfc culture at christmas there would be no burnt ovens there's nobody cross everybody's happy and you don't have to worry about anything <laughs> and christmas is one of those times that you shouldn't have to spend all your time in the kitchen so True, yeah, yeah. Go, go yeah. to kfc guys yeah i i yeah i'll let you go on for more than 30 seconds there because i because it's funny <laughs> you said it because i was listening um when the kids are in the car I sometimes put on uh, the digital radio um, channel Fun Kids for them to listen to, and they had a factoid on there, and they said, um, and they said, oh, um, which of these is true? That a Christmas tradition in Mexico is you go to McDonald's, or is it a Christmas tradition in New Zealand you go to Little Chef, or is it a Christmas tradition in Japan you go to KFC? Which of those three is true? I was like. I, I, I thought being logical, I thought in Mexico probably to McDonald's or something. But then I go, no, they probably go to McDonald's quite a lot. And then I was like, well, there's, there is no little chef in New Zealand because that's a very British thing. I was like, is it really Japan and KFC? And that was the correct answer. And now you've just said it independently. It's like verifying what I just heard on the radio. It was really weird. Bizarre. It is a tr Christmas tradition in Japan to go to KFC. Yeah, and I, re I remember it when I was in primary school, so between P3 and P6, the only time I was in Japan, uh, my sister and I, we collected um, KOC coupons leading up to Christmas. And once you had enough of these coupons, KFC gave you these wine glasses, customized wine glasses with Colonel Sanders' face. And <laughs> I don't know, it changed color when various temperature liquid went in. And I remember fighting over that. <laughs> glass i don't know if we still have it in a house in japan oh, but i remember incredible. we were fighting so much my mom and dad had to accumulate even more coupons <laughs> so there would be two of these glasses at home uh, it's just madness and we're not we're not a christian country it's a very secular shopping mm. you know festivity uh, rather than anything else <laughs> Um, but Christmas in Tanzania is a lot different. It's a lot, a, a lot more spiritual. I can imagine. Um, <laughs> so Merry Christmas in Kiswahili, the Tanzanian language is Christmasi Njema. Njema means Njema. like merry or good. Um, but Christmas is, is not a different word at all. And they're very religious in Tanzania. And they, they have a lot of singing and joy coming out of it uh, for all the right reason the baby Jesus is arriving. But in Japan, Nah, just KFC, please. <laughs> and yeah, to my since you said it in in you know in Swahili, I'm going to say in Chichewa it is Christmasi Yabwino, Christmasi Yabwino, Yabwino, yeah, Yabwino, because Yabwino is basically good. So Yabwino is very good. So Merry Christmas, yeah. So that's I think I got that right. And all my Malawian friends are like, "Kit, you butchered that." <laughs> <laughs> Before I forget, Akiko, because I I sometimes do, I have to ask for your word that the next guest is going to have a go at for thirty seconds. So. What would you like the next guest to talk about for 30 seconds? So you had Christmas, uh, Dan had Heatwave. What would you like to give? Kuroshio, which is a Japanese word for the Black Sea Current. Kuroshio. Can you spell Kuroshio. that Kuroshio. It's as you say it, K-U-R-O, as in kuro, kuro is the yeah. color, color black. And she is S-H-I-O. Shio, Kuroshio. Kuroshio is a Japanese word for the Black Sea Current in Pacific oh, Ocean. Being a wow. geographer. <laughs> wow. Okay. That is, is that mean? Is no. that mean? That is that is got to be the most cultured word we have had in the entire <laughs> run of this podcast. That is incredible. Oh yes. Excellent. So whoever's next, they're gonna be like, oh that girl. She is just <laughs> trouble. <laughs> oh, bring on the trouble for all I say that. You know, bring on the trouble. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Okay, so now at the very end, now um anybody you'd like to say hi to, um, any shout outs you would like to give? I'd like to say hello to all my friends. We used to go to school in Moshi, Tanzania. And you are all around the world. I love you loads. Aww. And also my mum and dad who are in Japan and my sisters are in Japan. I haven't seen you since January 2020. So hello. Oh, 
And uh, mom and dad, uh, konnichiwa for bringing into the world this wonderful, wonderful person. Uh, I've, I've had an absolute delight to speak to. Um, and how can people find you on uh, social media, Kiko, if they want to get in touch with you? Oh, I think it's the most obvious place would be just Twitter with my name, Miss Tomitaka. I decided not to hide my name or identity. It was, <laughs> it's just going to be too difficult. So Japanese names are easiest as you kind of say it, is as you spell it. So Miss Tomitaka, and you'll yep. be able to find me. It's nothing interesting. There. It's just all geography stuff. And, <gasps> yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> everybody listening to this podcast is like yeah we, why, why do we want to listen to geography what could geography yeah stuff? geography stuff it, yeah. yeah if you're into climate change oh i use twitter as my cpd as like a record of things i have That's read and things yeah. that things i have found interesting or things i want to push to my um higher pupils who be year six or um, I'm not sure how this works in England. Is it year 11 or 12? The really old kids who are A-level kids? Oh, yeah. So so down here in the in England, that would be year 12 and 13. Yeah. 12 and 13. Yeah. So, yeah, it's kind of geared towards those, those Perfect. kids. Perfect. Wonderful. Uh, Akika, I've had such a load of fun talking to you and finally, finally getting to chat to you uh, for the podcast. And I really hope we keep in touch. Um, and yeah, I will most certainly take you up on that offer. If I'm in Glasgow, I'm going to come and pay you a visit and we're going to do a bit of yoga on your deck looking over the Glaswegian skyline. You'd, you'd, you'd love it because the view is amazing. Just come even for the view. I will. And for the company, of course. And the company. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Kiko. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you had fun. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe so more stories and experiences can drop into your favourite podcast app. If you fancy being a guest or have any feedback, follow us on Twitter at CoffeeJogPod and send us a DM. Or you could email coffeeandjog at geogramblings.com. Until next time, keep geogging.